bisexuals always carry two drinks. It's just the way we are. It's, yeah. Oh, mm, I see you. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we boldly go where comics have always gone before, one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and I am joined by my co-host, the jewel of the Gem Hadar herself, Jessica Frazier. Oh, fancy. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. If you are enjoying the show so far and you want to help us grow... As always, it would be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods, because that really helps with discoverability. You can always just tell your friends, too. That's also something that works. Friendly reminder, we have also pulled our content off of Spotify, given how the platform still continues to actively promote voices spreading vaccine disinformation. This episode is dropping on Star Trek Day 2022, which is September 8th. So in honor, we are going to discuss the Star Trek and X-Men crossovers from the 1990s. But because we are talking about crossovers between socially aware properties, we felt we needed to have another socially progressive podcast crossover onto our show to help us talk about these. So today we are joined by the fine hosts of the SJW Comic Book Club, Monte, Veronica, and Melissa, who I think I have been talking to about doing this episode for like the better part of a year. That sound right? Thereabouts. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, would you mind introducing yourselves and telling our listeners about your show? Monte knows the intro uh, by heart. Okay. So the SJW Comic Book Club is a podcast where the three of us who have been friends since middle school, basically, I was friends with Melissa first, and then Veronica just kind of like <laughs> tagged along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I re- that's how I remember it. <laughs> yeah. But we've been friends since middle school, and we all have like differing levels of interest in comics. And we were doing a podcast about like politics and stuff. And then we were like, this is frustrating. Let's talk about something fun. So we started talking about (laughs) comics. And that's what we've been doing for the past year, two years. years. Yeah, two years. Nice. Was it the existential dread about politics or was it just kind of in general? Okay. So this was in like winter 2019. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So election lead up. Bad time. Dark time. Yeah. I mean, it's not much better right now, but. (laughs) Oh, no, it's it's significantly worse, I think. (laughs) It has ramped up (laughs) exponentially. (laughs) I would say in, in terms of badness, it went from like a 15 to a 20 on a scale out of 10. Yeah, so. that's, about, that's about where I would put it. In like three years. <laughs> like how? They were working hard at that one. Yeah. It was supposed to get better when Papa Joe took over, but I swear to God, it's just worse. Like the political stress, man. But we're not going to focus on that. We are going to talk about Star Trek, which is much more enjoyable. All right. So before we get started, we normally like to talk about one cool thing that we've read or watched lately because this episode is a Star Trek Day episode. I want to talk about one cool Star Trek thing that we have read or watched lately. So our three guests, talk amongst yourselves and pick who goes first. 
I'm going to go first because I'm obsessed with Star Trek and Monte has a passing interest and Veronica might not have seen or interacted with Star Trek before this collab. So the answer to your question is that I'm rewatching Deep Space Nine right now because I felt sad and didn't want to be sad. And Deep Space Nine has got to be the best well-written series. And it's my favorite one. And I love it. It's like I'm obsessed with how good it is and how much it's my favorite. I routinely refer to Deep Space Nine as the one true track. Oh, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> it's such a good Cisco. Mm, mm. Kira Norris. Mm. <laughs> I'm Pour in season one out six. For Jetsy, yeah. yeah, I'm in oh, season man. six. So they just got married. So it's actually fortuitous because we're reading. I, I'm currently watching Deep Space Nine at like almost the exact moment in which. <laughs> the the book that we read the planet x book takes place in we'll get into it but i was actually surprised at the deep space nine shout outs throughout throughout two of the entries like i was oh yeah yeah, all right cool all right so monte veronica who wants to go next so like Melissa said, I have a passing interest in star trek i would define it as my mom loves star trek like a lot especially Deep Space Nine, but she loves all of them except the original. Well, and Enterprise. Yeah, she doesn't love His that. His mom I mean, is me. His mom and yeah. I have the <laughs> Basically. So I don't really watch that much Star Trek. I haven't watched anything Star Trek other than Deep Space Nine with my mom in a very long time. But I know the new Star Trek, what is it, like Brave New Worlds or Strange New Worlds yeah. or something like that? Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Yeah, whichever the new one is with the hot Spock. Mm-hmm. I've seen hot Spock, and I find that very interesting. I find Ethan Peck very interesting. So, I think if you watch season three of Discovery, hot Spock is in there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was season two, because season three is when they go to the future. But yeah. season two has Pike in his number one and Spock all show up. Yeah. Must have been season two. Yeah. Part of season two of Discovery is like a soft pilot season for Strange New Worlds, yeah. which also stars Anson Mount as Captain Pike. And Anson Mount played Black Bolt in the Inhumans TV show. And then they gave him what is arguably <laughs> the greatest cameo ever in Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> and then Rebecca Romaine, who is Mystique, as his number one. So I'm like, cool, we get Black Bolt and Mystique in Star Trek now. It's canon. It's great. Very nice. Is Black Bolt immortal? Because, I mean, as we now know, Star Trek is the canon future of the Marvel <laughs> Universe. So if Black Bolt is immortal, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. That makes Pike's fate a little bit more depressing, though. <laughs> if he's immortal and has to live the rest of his life <laughs> stuck on the in the wheelchair that beeps <laughs> oh, no. oh never mind veronica don't think about it it's fine Pike's gonna be fine <laughs> well i was very concerned yeah all right so veronica how about you yeah so i only have experienced star trek through these two really and mm-hmm. like general cultural osmosis the last star trek thing i did was buy some old Star Trek comics for Melissa 
that were, mm-hmm. I think, like the annuals from some years in the 80s or 90s. Mm-hmm. They had Worf on the cover, and I found them at a garage sale, so I bought it them. It was nice. appropriate. Before <laughs> that, I went to visit Melissa, and she just continued watching the TV she was watching while I was there, as she does. And it was like, was it Discovery, Melissa, with Michael? Yes. That's the series. I was I'm yes. pretty sure. Pretty good. It's like an alternate universe with evil people, evil versions the, of everybody. The mirror universe? Yeah, the, horny the mirror universe. evil version of everybody? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love uh, the mirror universe. It's great. It's and one of the best. Like, if you come over to my house and I'm watching Star Trek, the best possible outcome is it being a mirror universe episode. Yes. And was <laughs> that, Nothing matters. Was um, that Michelle Yeoh? Quick question. Yeah. Yes. Are there any mirror episodes with Hot Spock being horny and angry? Not yet, but I'm pretty sure that we'll. Well, there's okay. like some with Leonard Nimoy, but. <laughs> well, that's less interesting to me. That was not the question. <laughs> <laughs> Resolutely not the question. <laughs> I said hot Spock. <laughs> hot Look, is here's, the operative word. <laughs> here's the thing is the Mirror Universe shows up in every series at some point. Mm-hmm. So if Strange New Worlds goes long enough, we'll get. A mirror universe version of hot horny Spock. Yeah. So All right. We can only hope. Let's get on it. <laughs> <laughs> you should write fan mail every yeah. week. There's hot I, I don't watch this show, but I just would like to know <laughs> when are we going to get hot horny hot Spock? <laughs> Double hot. I mean, yeah. he's already kind of hot and horny in the canon universe now in Strange New Worlds. Ooh. Yeah. And the first episode of that season does have a shirtless intimate scene between him and his wife yeah that's Fiance. the only thing that i've ever seen of that series is that specific clip is it kind of like, oh. pictures okay yes and then i found <laughs> gifts and then i found a clip <laughs> <laughs> then you watched it on repeat like 10 times. i'm a completist <laughs> I love how you started that whole story by trying to lead us to believe that you just kind of stumbled upon that one thing and then it really evolved into, no, I very specifically searched this out once I sniffed that it had existed. Yeah, I get just like a little whiff of chest hair and I'm just there. (laughs) See, I'm one of his scouts, you know, so I... She's very effective. Love it. <laughs> Amazing. Sorry, Veronica. What were you saying about? <laughs> Just saying, even though Discovery apparently is a very tenuous kind of story, different than other mm-hmm. X Star Trek series. I thought that episode held up really well as like a one shot. Was it mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh? Yes. 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 So oh, she was fantastic. So good. The one character's mirror universe version being named Killy instead oh, of Tilly uh, so amuses me to this day. <laughs> I mean, they could have gone more clever with it, and they didn't, and I respect that. <laughs> Just in general, I enjoyed watching it while doing my laundry at Melissa's house. They spent about 30 seconds <laughs> figuring out what Killy's alternate horny name was going to be, and they were like, what if it was Killy? <laughs> That's literally... Just galaxy brain shit. Like, that's so perfect. It's so good. It was the end of their day, and they were like, no, I don't, I, I give zero fucks about naming this character. Let's just They're get like, this over with. My like, daughter's birthday is, is today. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to get home and be with my family. Just the name is Kelly. <laughs> I hate all of you. 
I hate everyone oh who goodness. works here. I hate the fans. Her name is <laughs> Little did they know it was the greatest love letter they could write to the fans. <laughs> yeah. It's truly, Amazing. I had to think I, the first time I watched an episode with that, I had to pause and just collect myself before I could continue mm-hmm. watching. It's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Jessica, you're up. So I have something, because I always like to bend the rules. Listen, it's me. So I have a Star Trek adjacent kind of a what have I been reading. And Mm -hmm. I commute about a half an hour each way to work right now. And then I also host trivia and I have to drive to trivia. So I'm always in the car. And so I really like to listen to podcasts. I listen to your guys' podcasts a lot, actually. And yes. And then I also like to listen to book on tape. And so I really like, because I'm a big old nerd, I get onto the sci-fi kicks because of course I do, right? I love the theories that people come up with about like future star travel and finding other planets and stuff. So I started listening to this book on tape called We Are Legion, We Are Bob by Dennis E. Taylor. Oh my gosh. And you know what? It sums it up perfectly. Society is figuring out how to put your sentience into like a program basically. And like Mm -hmm. put your, like your personality, all of your memories, like into like some sort of a memory drive, then it can split you up and replicate you. And so then it's like the, oh, if you start replicating are you still the same person? Do they have the same personalities? Like, you know, do they want the same things? And so it's this thing where they go into space and it's kind of the end of the earth and they're having to figure that out. And do they really owe the earth anything? They don't really exist bodily anymore, you know? So it's <laughs> it's a really interesting book. There's actually a trilogy. So I was like, I just realized that. And I was like, oh, pff, download, oh, pff, download. So, and the narrator is really great too. Yeah, it's been really good so far i would recommend it very quippy but about star trek bob is a star trek fan and so like they (laughs) start having all these other bobs and they're like whoa 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 we can't all be bob right so you all have to like come up with a name when you realize you're not the bob you have to like come up with a name and name yourself and so the first guy comes up and he's riker (laughs) 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 of course so he's number one <laughs> and so Perfect. it's this whole play about like they're calling him will and they're like you know Good. so if you are a star trek fan there are so many little easter eggs and lots of little pop culture easter eggs as well because this guy was just like an all-around like kind of pop culture like nerd so yeah yes. it's it's a fun one i would highly recommend it we just learned how many speaking of naming characters after star trek characters we just did some trivia a few weeks ago and realized how many star trek characters are named after characters from 1984 mm. in the first place oh which i did not know that's you know, brian yeah you like looked at all the multiple choice options you're like these are all star trek characters yeah it confused me because i didn't know the answer to the question but i was like i can't even help you they're all just star trek names like (laughs) i'm thrown through a loop it's really funny (laughs) it's really funny all right so i am the last one i recently signed up for paramount plus because i really like star trek in general and Sarah really loves the old school Nickelodeon content, so it made sense. Veronica. 
I gasped with joy and then choked on myself. But yeah, the thing about Paramount Plus is they've got not one, not two, not three, but four original Star Trek shows right now streaming on that platform. (laughs) And that plus like all of the existing Star Trek content. Do they have all of it now? Because they didn't have some of the movies for some reason. I don't know about the movies. I haven't tried to watch those yet. I'm like, you know, whatever. The movies are fine. Whatever. Debatable. Like, I care so little about most of the movies, but like the TV (laughs) shows, that's that's my bread and butter. Yeah. And so one of the new shows is called Lower Decks and it's it's animated and it's so funny. And it basically follows the adventures of like the ensigns on a is it a California class ship. Is that what it is? I don't remember. But yeah, it's, they're yeah. on the Cerebus. Ooh, my husband has a shirt that says Ritos. Nice. We also love that show. <laughs> no, it's it's really funny. And it also stars the main actor from The Boys who plays Huey, who I'm Jack. Jack Quaid, I think is his name. He's Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's son. Yeah, it's Jack Quaid. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, Tawny Newsome is Mariner. Yeah. Ooh, so good. Yeah, it's it. The, the entire cast is perfect. Like Jerry O'Connell is like the you know the Riker esque character. They have cameos from all the other Star Trek actors at various points. It's just it's really funny. It's really sweet at times. It is far better than I ever could have expected because when they announced they were doing like an animated sitcom set in the Star Trek universe. I immediately was just like, no, that sounds like ass. And then <laughs> my best friend was like, you got to watch this. This is really good. And I'm like, okay, fine. And like, we watched it and we were like, oh, fuck, this is really good. <laughs> we basically binged it all in a night. So, yeah. All right. Who is ready to talk about Star Trek hanging out with the X-Men? Everyone is always ready oh. for that. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> who, who wouldn't be? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we go any further, what's everyone's history with and favorite incarnation of Star Trek? And I'm assuming that everyone in, in this discussion is familiar with the X-Men. I feel like that's a no-brainer, but I just want to confirm that. Yes, Monte yeah. has made us familiar with the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, God <laughs> help you if you're my friend and you're not familiar with the X-Men. You're going to hear a <laughs> lot of useless rambling about nothing. <laughs> So actually, Melissa, I think you hadn't really watched it before. There was a time a few years ago after we all came out of college and we were like, we need to actually meet regularly or else we're just going to like fall apart as friends, us and like more friends. So we started doing like movie nights. I think first they watched all the Twilight movies. Then we did Star Wars. And then we were going to Hunger Games. And then we were going to do Star Trek. But we started with the first two movies and <laughs> quickly sick. gave up. The second movie was yeah. good. I will was, say the second movie was good. The first one was good in that it was just an mm. episode of Star Trek with multiple hours of tracking space footage intercut into it. <laughs> hmm. If you can call that a movie. But then, I don't know, you started watching it with your husband after that. Yeah. Yeah, we we basically we skipped the original series except for like some of the most iconic episodes. Yeah, I don't regret it. So (laughs) I we started with Next Generation, moved on to Deep Space Nine, Enterprise. Am I missing any? And then at that point, when we were watching it, Discovery hadn't come out. Picard hadn't come out. Lower Decks. Like, so we we got 
basically through all the existing TV show properties, except for the original series. And then we watched Lower Decks when it came out, and that was amazing. We did watch Picard. At least I've only seen the first season. It was fine. <laughs> Didn't watch the second season yet. I was just kind of waiting when I was in the mood for it. But I've seen almost all of Discovery. I'm finishing Deep Space Nine first before I finish the last season. And then I haven't really started Strange New Worlds yet because it's just people are busy. We yep. have lives, you know? <laughs> so I've seen most of Star Trek and I have so many strong opinions about Star Trek. <laughs> And I rarely get to talk about Star Trek with people who also know about Star Trek. So this is... She just tells me about This is a big day for me. (laughs) Dream! (laughs) All right, Jessica, what about you? Like, what's what's your familiarity with Star Trek? So I grew up watching mostly Next Gen. Yeah. Because it was the 90s, and that was just kind of always on. My dad loved that show. But we also watched the OG, like, Kirk. And, you know, that just it's it's just such a classic. And there are so many like callbacks. It was such like a formative kind of a show, you know, in, in society. And it's campy and amazing, <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you take it for what it is, if you don't take it seriously, like you're fine. If you try to take it seriously, like, no, you're fucked. Like, don't do that. But no, I really like Next Gen and I have not rewatched it recently and I can guarantee it's not going to hold up. <laughs> like there's okay. going to be a lot of stuff that I don't like. I can absolutely guarantee mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So Especially I, that first season. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I'm already like anticipating when I go back to rewatch it, having not been like, again, not freshly watched it at all. I know it's going to feel a little rough and bumpy and I'll probably want to move on pretty quickly. But I've seen some of the other iterations of it. My brother's had Lower Deck on before when I've come in and he told me a little bit about it and seen an episode or two of that. And yeah, but I, I want to get more into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of like you. Like I grew up watching The Next Generation. Like I never really got to know my grandparents. My grandfathers both died before I was born. My grandmothers both died when I was like five. So my great uncle and my great aunt were were my de facto grandparents. My great uncle was like, for a little kid, he was like the coolest guy. He was like this very sarcastic, funny dude who was like a retired engineer. He'd been a dive bomber in World War II. He always had cool stories. And so I remember coming over, we would come over every Sunday night for dinner at their house. And he was watching the first episode of Deep Space Nine one night. And I was like, oh yeah, how is that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I really like it. And then basically we watched every episode of the first season together at his house before dinner and so it's like etched into my brain now and as a result like i have the dvds like those are going in my casket with me when i die like (laughs) like like i don't care the kids can't have them and deep space nine for me is like the one true track i feel like that is arguably the best of the star trek series like there's a couple that come close but i'm like that's the one that is consistently very good. It doesn't adhere to like the episode of the week for the most part. Like they have this overarching story that starts pretty early on and then it continues all the way through the show. And it was just really good. It was really progressive. It had a lot of really great messages about diversity and inclusion when that was not something that was being focused on. And when it is funny, it is shockingly funny. Like, like the wedding episode that Melissa was talking about is still one of my favorites. Sarah and I just like getting 
ready for this episode, we watched Trials and Tribulations, which is the episode <gasps> where they go back in time. I, yes. Oh, and they so like good. synced it up where they have they have the Deep Space Nine crew members in the backgrounds of all these iconic shots from the Tribbles episode because they're holding this like we can't interfere with this. We can't. We have to operate kind of like on the DL so that we can't, you know, interfere with history and change things. And it's so clever and so well done. And again, it's just funny and uh, it's so good. Yeah. So that's my familiarity with the show. And, you know, and I've obviously like watched everything, but I was just thinking about it. There was like the serious like dearth of Star Trek content from like 2002 to about 2009, where we just didn't have any shows like we had. Well, we had Enterprise, I guess. That was around 2002. But Yeah, there's a joke on Futurama where George Decay turns to Scott Bakula and says, way to kill the franchise, Bakula. Because and... <laughs> not that I think Scott Bakula is actually responsible. We all no. know it's Rick Berman. But, but, you know, it's, yeah, there was that drought yeah. after Enterprise. Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah, but the movies, the the J.J. Abrams movies mm-hmm. with Chris Pine and... Yeah, that was around 2009. Know, I, yeah. I honestly, I think that was my first introduction to Star Trek. And it got me, it probably like cracked open that door for me oh. to start with the series. Because like, obviously, those movies are completely different from the TV shows. But, you know... But they're also so really fun. Like, I really yeah. liked those movies. Like, I, like, even... Like, a lot of people rag on Into Darkness. I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, it's not my favorite of them, but like, I like the first and the third ones a lot better, but it's fine. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, <laughs> he was mm-hmm. so hot in that movie. Like, that was a gift. Melissa, stop. <laughs> no, this got talked about in a crossover we did recently, and it intrigued me. So I do want to just know when yeah. Kane comes out of nowhere and yanks <laughs> Melissa off screen. Listen, I had just when I said strong opinions about Star Trek. <laughs> this is too controversial, though, Melissa. Oh, hot takes on our show? No, no. <laughs> She's gone God. too far. Next thing we'll start talking about feminism. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Feminism in Star Trek. I got some opinions about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa has very strong opinions about the progressiveness of Star Trek. Yes, Melissa, we all know Star Trek has never and will never have politics in it in any way. Oh, we're oh, going to talk about free. that later. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Star Trek and comics, they have been pretty intertwined, you know, pretty much since the the franchise started. The original series ran from January 1966 to June 1969, and the first comic book based on the show came out in 1967, and it was published by Dell Comics. It wasn't exactly a faithful recreation of the show, more of kind of like a stylized spinoff. Apparently, all of the crew members except for Spock wore lime green uniforms, and the stories often featured original characters and plots. But, you know, some issues serve as sequels to specific episodes. I haven't had the opportunity to read any of these issues, but they've been reprinted a few times, like in the last 20 years, so you can pick those up if you want to. The physical collections are going for pretty decent money these days, but the digital collections are still available for, like, roughly $10 a book. But what's surprising is that the comic series actually like outlasted the TV show by about a decade. It ran for 61 issues until 1979. So the first Star Trek comic, 
you know, was much longer lived than the show it was based on. And in fact, the only reason it ended was because Marvel managed to secure the rights for the brand, sort of. Like, it turns out that they didn't actually get the rights to all of Star Trek. They only got the rights to the first Star Trek movie, which wasn't actually that well received. Like, it's it's not that good. Like, I've watched it, and I can't remember much about it. There's something about the Voyager probe coming back, and, you know, it's whatever. It... <laughs> but Jim Shooter wound up venting about this in the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1980s. We got screwed six ways to Sunday on Star Trek. We wanted from Paramount all of Star Trek, the motion picture, the 1960s television series, everything. But what we got was only the motion picture. Once we were already committed to all these publishing plans, we were told we couldn't do what people wanted, the television series. We got the lame first movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, Shooter went on to call it a disaster that was foisted on Marvel and, you know, also made claims of Paramount baiting and switching things that really hobbled them from the get-go. And, you know, from... <laughs> From what I've read, that doesn't seem entirely inaccurate. The series only lasted for 18 issues, and it ended in 1982. According to an interview in this other book called New Life and New Civilizations, which is a collection of essays about Star Trek and comics, writer Martin Pascoe said he wouldn't have been surprised if the series got canceled due to low sales. Basically, the book notes that any time Paramount refused to renew the license with a comic publisher, it was due to them being unhappy with sales numbers. So, kind of checks out. But after that, DC got the license in 1984 and managed to hold on to it until 1996. Under DC's banner, Star Trek, the original series, ran in comics across two ongoing series, which totaled roughly 150 issues. And it sold, it told a number of stories set in that continuity. And then The Next Generation had a six-issue series that was then followed by an ongoing series that ran for almost 90 issues, if you count all the annuals and specials. There were also like a ton of miniseries and random specials and one shots. And I looked it up on the League of Comic Geeks, which is all user submitted data. So take this with a grain of salt. But according to that site, DC published 377 different issues of Star Trek while it had the rights. And I'm not sure if these comics were ever widely collected and reprinted everywhere. I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of discussion about those books nowadays. Even DC Comics year by year doesn't mention anything about the series. So my guess is that the rights are a bit complicated it's you know kind of wild but the other big footnote from this time is malibu comics and we've mentioned them in previous episodes malibu was making some pretty big moves in the early 90s and they had acquired the rights to deep space nine malibu's deep space nine series ran for 32 issues until 1996 when marvel bought malibu and malibu was an indie publisher that had a sizable market share at this point in time and from what I understand, DC Comics was actually kind of sniffing around them, and then Marvel decided to snap them up to keep DC from acquiring them, because if DC had acquired Malibu, then DC would have owned a bigger portion of the comics market than Marvel did, and Marvel was basically trying to dominate the market while they were under the leadership of this controversial financier named Ron Perlman. If you want to hear more about Ron Perlman and what he was doing around this time at Marvel, check out issue 20, where we talked about Deathmate, the crossover between Image Comics and Valiant with comic book couples counseling, and then episode 22, which is all about Marvel's holiday comics. So now, Malibu had the Deep Space Nine license, but their agreement with Paramount also allowed them to create comics based on any future spin-off television series or film, and any incarnation of Star Trek 
not already covered by the agreement with DC. So when DC's license expired, Marvel was able to sweet-talk Paramount into letting them put all Star Trek comics under this publisher's umbrella. And this led to Marvel's Paramount Comics imprint. And basically, Paramount Comics was set up to publish adaptations of any Paramount TV or film properties. If I recall correctly, the 1996 Mission Impossible movie was the first book that they put out under the, the Paramount Comics label, and it wound up being kind of a disaster. Tom Cruise got really mad. He felt that his character looks too effeminate in one panel and the book had to be recalled after it had been printed. Jeez, Louise. It's amazing. <laughs> but the problem is, is that like, so you can still find copies of that book because they'd already gone out to public to newsstands. I may own a couple and you know, it may just be because I want to spite Xenu, but whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyway, so it makes sense that Marvel wanted to get in on publishing Star Trek stuff again. And the mid-90s was kind of a golden age for the brand. There were two popular series on television. There was, at this point in time, Voyager and Deep Space Nine. The movies were coming out every couple of years, and they were doing pretty well at the box office. Licensed media and products were everywhere. And then there was also like this fully immersive like theme attraction that was about to open in Las Vegas. I never got to go, and I'm really mad, but apparently the Star Trek experience was a blast. Like You could like get Romulan ale. <laughs> So, That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm really sad. They shut it down before I ever went to Vegas, and I was really bummed about it. But, you know, it lasted for a while, and they had a lot of really cool interactive stuff. So, you know, the heyday. We'll start but a campaign. That, I know, We'll revitalize right? it. We'll get it back. I don't know, like, well, I mean, that's the thing is Universal has deals with Paramount. So, I mean, like, I'm kind of surprised that we don't have, like, a Star Trek experience at one of the Universal Studios. But yeah, this brings us to the Star Trek X-Men crossovers. So Marvel immediately launched a Deep Space Nine and a Voyager comic, as well as a Star Trek Unlimited right after they got the rights. The last one was a bi-monthly series that had stories set in the original series and the Next Generation settings. And then even before these series were printed, Marvel announced there was going to be a Star Trek and X-Men crossover. And the book was going to be written by this veteran writer named Scott Liddell. And then it was going to be illustrated by a number of popular artists from Top Cow Productions, headlined by Mark Silvestri. And Lobdell gave an interview to Star Trek Communicator magazine explaining how the two properties worked really well together. I think it's a completely organic blend of two wildly successful pop culture icons that have managed to get only stronger over the last 30 years. Whether you're traveling from one end of the galaxy to the other, or you're a mutant who is set apart from the rest of the mainstream, the bottom line is that these characters have the same hopes, fears, and dreams. I mean, I don't think he's wrong, but before we go any further, we also have to acknowledge that Liddell has been outed as problematic. Back in 2013, he wound up admitting to sexually harassing comic book artist and writer Mari Naomi on stage during a Prism Comics panel at Long Beach Comic Con. Nothing else has really surfaced since then, but his behavior was pretty inappropriate, and it really bums me out because he wrote one of my favorite horror comedies, Happy Death Day. And then Silvestri is one of the Marvel artists who co-founded Image Comics and his own studio, Top Cow Productions, and he had earned a ton of claim for his work on Uncanny X-Men and then Wolverine before he left to found the company. So the book was written by Scott Lobdell. It was penciled by Mark Silvestri, Billy Tan. Anthony Wynn, David Finch, and Brian Ching. It was inked by Matt Banning, Detron, 
Billy Tan, Aaron Saud, Joe Weems, Victor Lamas, Team Tron, Jose Guillen, Viet Trong, Mike Manzarek, lettered by Dennis Heisler, colored by Tyson Wingler, Steve Burchow, Jonathan Smith, Richard Eisenhove, and edited by Bobby Chase. There was a lot of people involved in this. That's so many. It's so many. Like, <laughs> like I, I can't help but think that they wanted to get something out that was going to have really high glossy production values, and they wanted to get it out fast. So that would explain why they had so many people involved in this. But yeah, Jessica, you want to give us a quick plot summary? Yeah, sure. So several of the X-Men, and we're talking Storm, Gambit, Phoenix, a.k.a. Jean Grey, Bishop, Wolverine, Beast, and Cyclops all end up on Kirk's Enterprise due to a psionic rift. Mm -hmm. And Storm and Beast are discovered in the sick bay by Bones as they're trying to patch up a little more worse for where at Gambit. Spock finds Jean and the rest of the gang as he feels the tingle of her mind probing around the ship. Nice touch. And Kirk definitely immediately hits on Phoenix the first second he's alone with her. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, my husband thinks I'm hot too, but thanks. <laughs> and then immediately offends her further by telling a story about having to kill his friend because he was a mutant. And then feeling like he had to defend that. It wasn't a good look. <laughs> it's just a big yikes for kirk so. it's so bad it's so bad so the baddies of this story are Deathbird and proteus who apparently want to exploit the psionic energy from earth that Deathbird had felt from some sensor probes that she had going of course which picked up phoenix's stabilizing of this energy and Deathbird really wants to figure out if she needs to cozy up to this person or take her out in order to get access to what she's being told is an endless energy source. So Proteus had taken over the body of a Starfleet officer named Gary Mitchell. And the context is that Gary Mitchell features in an episode where he's exposed to like strange energy and basically gets godlike abilities or he's crushed by a rock. So whatever. But yeah, like I guess that's how you kill gods. Fine. <laughs> Like, Proteus's original weakness was metal. So, you know. I don't know. Sky Daddy, you listening? <laughs> if I get taken out by, a, like, a lightning bolt right now, just Man. continue. Just continue is all I'm saying. <laughs> I do like that you've threatened God on this podcast. <laughs> like, we're coming for you. We know your weakness. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> fucking <Yeah>. cheeky. <laughs> Just need a big enough rock. Like Star Trek really was not a fan of organized religion in general in the original series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even even Deep Space Nine, like we get into a lot of Klingon history and they basically like back in the day, the historic Klingons killed God and then <laughs> became the superior race that they are now. And you know, you gotta you admire that so well, Klingons know how I'm, to live i mean even deep Just space saying. nine like deep space nine was like 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 there's this whole section of bajor that is an allegory for evangelical christianity oh, and how yeah. toxic it is yeah and like yeah they are not subtle yeah i think they have a really awesome balance of like showing what faith means to the individual person versus 
how big organizations, even religious ones, can be corrupted and cause so much damage and pain and suffering. Just as, and then they kind of even relate it to. Sorry, I love Deep Space Nine so much, but it's <laughs> like there was a whole occupation of the Kardashians on Bajor, mm-hmm. and then they take, you know what I mean, and then like, come, ugh, so good, so it's so good, good. Anyway, back to Gary Mitchell and Proteus and Death <laughs> Back Bird. to Gary. Yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it was like, what were we talking about other than Sky Sky Daddy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like the world is crumbling. Me. What do I have to lose? Like, on, like. <laughs> Honestly, Might honestly, well quest, yeah. it can only go up. <laughs> yeah, like this is already a good like amount of people to go on a quest is all I'm saying. Five is a perfect party size. It's mm-hmm. just perfect party size. <laughs> <laughs> so Proteus ends up like double crossing Deathbird. He's like, I don't really need you. Thanks, though. Bye. <laughs> Kirk uses Gene's mind reading abilities to get access to the real Gary inside the Proteus like takeover Gary body. But he died a really long time ago, so I'm not really sure why he was still able to talk to him. But like, that's never resolved. That is not resolved. Don't expect it to because it's not going to happen. And tries to talk to him to get him to like take back over the body. And like, I guess that worked long enough or like them to off him with a combined blasting so he like boom explodes the collective good guys glower at Deathbird, who's like i don't even like this place anyway and then like fucks off and then they say their goodbyes and they scoot through the rift that is just conveniently closing that's it i mean isn't that just the perfect blend of stuff that doesn't make sense in star trek (laughs) and stuff that doesn't make sense in comic books just like Mm -hmm. perfectly blended together Like, yeah, and then right. it ended. What the? What do you want from me? Like, yeah. it's over. The, the episode's rift. over. <laughs> you want away. There are no more pages. The emotional weight. Fuck well, off. the other thing is that you know people. <laughs> I think people forget that like the X Men for for a good while were like very much a sci fi space opera of a story. <laughs> like, yay! Like it's it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> like this this checks out. Yes. But yeah, I mean, what did everyone think about this comic? I'm curious. It was a lot in that specific <laughs> 90s way <laughs> Yes, that comics can be. The art. I mean, I can see the effect of having 18 pencilers and inkers mm-hmm. on this comic. There was a lot of very campy, fun moments that I read it kind of late. I read the third thing we're going to talk about first, and then I yeah. went back and read the comics. That's and so I, I was did. like... <laughs> I was like live tweeting all my reactions to this comic to these two and just be like, this statement makes no sense in the funniest way. <laughs> I think my favorite was you talked about when they finally kill Gary slash Proteus. The pa- one panel says one phaser blast. And then the <laughs> next panel is like a splash page where literally everyone is shooting him. Yeah. And he's yes. disintegrating into flame. Uh, <laughs> so- and Veronica, everyone is shooting him. And then Wolverine is off to the side with his claws out yelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just Doing slicing the air. Yeah. <laughs> Shadow boxing nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> I was really surprised we didn't get a Wolverine stabbing Phoenix moment, like, you mm-hmm. know, from the original John Byrne, Chris Claremont run. Right. Good opportunity. But yeah, you know, whatever. I'm not in charge of these comics. They don't pay me the big <laughs> bucks, so fine. We should be, though. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I felt it was, you know, it was perfectly serviceable. It felt like a one-off episode of Star Trek, and 
the script was it was fun. It wasn't great, but it was fun. <laughs> and I will say I did really like, though, that at the end when Kirk is shaking Cyclops hand and Cyclops ends things on this hopeful note, talking about how he's glad to see a future where things aren't terrible. Like, I thought that was solid. Also, I really liked it when the nurse came into sick bay and said Dr. McCoy and then both Beast and Bones are like, yes. Yeah, that was. Ha ha ha. <laughs> there were a lot of moments like that. Was, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could definitely tell that this comic story both felt like an X-Men story and a Star Trek story. <laughs> I think everything we read was was very Star Trekky, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I felt like they did at least stick true to the Star Trek vibe. Yeah, it was it was better than it had any right to be and that's kind of how i feel about all of this stuff like the 90s were not known for good comics let's be honest <laughs> what? this is a great place for me to jump in yeah i was just saying <laughs> and <laughs> transition to monte <laughs> on play so i am not a big fan of the 90s just in general i think deep space nine actually has the distinction of being one of the only live action TV shows from the 90s that I can stand. Uh, <laughs> so good for that. So I'll preface this by saying I don't like Scott Lobdell. Aside from being a predator and a bit of a bully, I also think he's a shitty writer who just survived on the like inertia of the 90s. And that's mm. the reason why he was able to write for so long, because I don't think he did a very good job. But... So all of that out of the way, just let that contextualize <laughs> why I didn't really like this. It was because of pre-existing biases is what I'm saying. Yeah, I like so that's the thing is like I wasn't aware of any of this stuff with Lobdell. Like I I knew the name vaguely, but I didn't know his work intimately until I was researching. He wrote on X-Men for like a decade almost and he had like one good storyline, which is early frost. And then mm. Well, the beginning, like when it was first transitioning from Claremont to like his era, you know, there were a few good, like decent storylines and stuff, but he's just, I don't see it. I don't get it, but he (laughs) is prolific. So for better or worse, probably for worse, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I like, I liked a couple things in it. Like I did like that Spock felt phoenix's like brain poking like i thought that was a nice touch and like there were some like cool callback kind of things that i thought were interesting but i the 90s drawing with like Mm. why okay why did they always draw women's breasts like it felt like they were swelling like balloons they looked Mm -hmm. uncomfortable as shit like i don't know man like get it checked out like is all i'm saying because like (laughs) that shit looks uncomfortable unless like you got it done to look that way in which case like your prerogative no judgment but like i don't think that's supposed to be the case and like it just you know and they all have like 20 fucking abs and like yeah it's just mm-hmm. written, like muscles where there shouldn't be muscles and like all of them and i'm just like i don't know like i don't really resonate with that type of drawing and i know that's r- pretty specific to the 90s and that kind of vibey like everybody's body shamed for the body they have kind of way but you know like you can't exist and like feel good about yourself welcome to the 90s so yeah like let's also wear low-rise jeans so yeah it's (laughs) i think sylvester is one of the image guys right 
Yeah, he was one of the co-founders. Yeah, he was. So Silvestri is one of the people who like started that. And it was like interesting and fun and like (laughs) exciting at the beginning. And then it just kind of, like I said, the inertia of the 90s, it just (laughs) continued much longer than it should have. Just like denim jeans and (laughs) denim jean jackets and denim jean t-shirts and <laughs> it's like how well, the early 2000s fashion couldn't recover quickly yeah. from yes, the 90s and exactly. was really bad <laughs> it's just so much inertia well and i mean we've we've talked about this before i call it 90s extreme with a capital x and yep. you know like it's interesting because if you look at like the the art by all of the image co-founders when they were working at marvel like there were like they were still like they were still very, you know, hyper stylized bodies. Like there's no, there's no way to get around that. But, but they were less, just kind of like character caricaturized. Like they, they were less. They, there was like a slight amount of realism, of realism still to them. But like, you know, like as it went on, like you watch Rob Liefeld, where all of a sudden the women had like these three inch waists. Or Eric Larson, like the Savage Dragon, his shoulders were so wide. You're like, how does he fit through doorways? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Jim Lee is an incredible artist. Like he was starting out, I think he was training to be a medical illustrator or a doctor, one or the other. But like, you know, his, his, that's why his anatomy was so good. He was like going through medical training and then he became an incredible comic book artist instead. But like Wildcats number one, I think has a center fold out image of i think voodoo because she's like a go-go dancer like it was all of these books were very much oriented towards teenage boys (laughs) (laughs) What? because they they like they just that was that was the demographic they were targeting and you know it's the other the other thing about this book though is that because you have so many people working on it like a lot of the pages are harder to read because I feel like the inks were so dark. Like there's an early on one where you're looking at it's a Sylvester penciling. And then I think it's Billy Tan who inked it, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. And like Gladiator is floating in space. And we do get a great moment where Gladiator punches the Enterprise, which I thought was fantastic. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, but like, but you're looking at Gladiator and it's actually hard to get a read on his overall shape because the shadows blend in completely with the background space. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Tons of words, tons of exposition. Oh, yeah. Just like so dense. Yeah. yeah. And there were, like you guys had mentioned, all the callbacks to the original series of Star Trek. While you might have been delighted by them, I was annoyed by every single one. <laughs> 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 but I personally just find that original series annoying. So, reminding <laughs> me about the original series only annoyed me (laughs) sad there's probably a reason that we didn't get another crossover with kirk series but the other thing is that kirk series wasn't all that popular by this point in time it was much more the next generation like at this point yeah yeah speaking of the art and like it's overdoneness it's kind of shockingly discordant like Mm -hmm. the x-men are drawn in their like super 90s comic extreme style and the Star Trek cast are drawn like very recognizably, like the art is good, but they look like they're actors who have like yeah. mm-hmm. normal human straight bodies in t-shirts and velour uniforms. Like real ass people. Yeah. And when you're reading it, because 
I mean, it's also so busy and there's so many words. I'm like scrolling through it now and I'm like, I don't think I looked at any of the Star Trek crew members while I was reading this comic because I was so distracted by the X-Men. I have to think that must have been part of the agreement with Paramount was that you have to make them (laughs) recognizable as their characters. Right. Like that must have been part of the agreement. But yeah, so now that we're talking about the next generation, what do you say we move on to Star Trek, the next generation slash X-Men colon second contact? Can I ask one thing before we move on? Yeah, sure. Did Proteus as a villain work for people? Because I was so confused the whole time about why Proteus was there. Because Proteus dies in the 70s, and then he comes back for like one random issue of X Factor or something that nobody's ever read, so I have no idea what happened. No, I think it was that there was an annual story where they told it across four different annuals with like the New Guardians and X Factor and stuff like that. Where yeah, he's brought back to life. And it's actually like a really depressing story because I remember reading that when I was a kid and being like, oh, that was. Hmm, that was really bad. <laughs> like, I think you're the only one that read it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it wasn't good. It made, me, it made me upset and I haven't come back to it. Yeah. But like you said, like X-Men, there's so many space storylines with x-men i was just kind of confused about why like you have Deathbird and you have the shiar there but i was so confused about why proteus was there and like not a more recurring x-villain because the x-men have fought a lot of like psionics and like reality Mm -hmm. warpers and stuff especially in the 90s because they were like a dime a dozen so it's like why proteus i was so confused by this choice scott lovedell i don't get it what were you doing (laughs) what were you thinking They've brought Proteus back a couple of different times, too. Like, there was a whole thing with the Exiles in the early aughts. New Mutants Annual 7. No, so the story where he's brought back by this other character named Piecemeal, that was from the early 90s. That was, like, 91, apparently. So, I don't know. It's an odd choice. Like, maybe Scott Liddell was doing something with Proteus. I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't have a lot of insight into that era. My knowledge of 90s X-Men is pretty limited. Like, I wasn't reading the series at the time, and I haven't gone back and reread most of that stuff. Like, I read the first few issues of the new series that Jim Lee was doing, and I stopped a little after 300 with Uncanny X-Men, because I was a teenage boy and I moved on to Image. Yeah. No, I mean, Proteus, he's brought back for that, like, one story, and then he goes away again, and then he comes back, and, like, much, much later. And I'm like, I don't understand why Proteus is here. I don't get it. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Especially we'd have a great villain in Gary. (laughs) All you need is Gary. (laughs) I mean, Gary, honestly, they could have brought in Deathbird. They could have like resurrected Gary through like the psionic energy, the rift that was going on. And then just done all that. That would have been fine. I don't know. Proteus was, yeah, an odd choice. And the more I think about it, the grumpier I get. So (laughs) not having encountered Proteus anywhere else and him just being like an entity that lives in Gary in this comic. I'm I don't have like any conception of what Proteus is or who he is as a villain from being in this comic. He's just the slash after Gary. (laughs) Like reality warper who is like a psionic entity who possesses other people, if I remember right. Yes, he possesses other people and kills them and like burns through their bodies. Proteus is a very interesting villain. Like Proteus was a great villain, like when he was introduced in Claremont's run. Mm -hmm. 
I just didn't understand why he was brought back here. Yeah. All right. Well, does anyone have any final thoughts before we, we move on? Okay. All right. So let's talk about Star Trek colon, the next generation slash X-Men colon, second contact. All the titles of all of these are so <laughs> I love it. generic. I love it so much. I'm just like, there is so much extra, extra formatting that I have to note it. Yes. <laughs> and none of them are memorable words in any way. No. no. Okay. Obviously, the Star Trek X-Men crossover did well, and Marvel decided to do a sequel. And this time, we got Star Trek The Next Generation slash X-Men Second Contact. God, what a mouthful. But it was written this time by Dan Abnett and Ian Edgington. It was penciled by Carrie Nord, inked by Scott Koblish, colored by John Kaslas, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Tim Tuohy, Chip Carter, and Julio Soto. And Abnett and Edgington, they are British writers who came up through the UK comic scene. And Carrie, Carrie Nord is actually an Eisner award-winning penciler who drew some of my favorite Conan comics for Dark Horse. So even though these weren't attention-grabbing names at the time, they were really notable talents. They just, you know, weren't as well-known then. And I'll handle the plot summary this time. This book is a direct sequel to Star Trek First Contact the movie. And it starts immediately after the Enterprise has triumphed against the Borg. They are trying to make their way home and inadvertently find themselves in the Marvel 616 universe. The crew winds up visiting the X-Mansion because they detect Shi'ar technology that can get them home, which I thought was an interesting moment because Riker is sitting there and like, it's like, oh, it's, it's Shi'ar technology. What's that doing on Earth? And I'm like, oh, so, so the Shi'ar are canon Star Trek lore, I guess. Okay. And then the X-Men and... And the crew end up skirmishing for a second, which side note, Colossus fights Data and Data is wearing slacks and a bowling shirt, I guess, which, okay, sure. And then they all become friends and Kang the Conqueror shows up to reveal that time's been busted because the Enterprise came over to Earth 616. Kang sends two groups to different points in time, basically where temporal anomalies have been detected. And then we get to see them arriving at different points of both timelines. One group goes to Earth 811, which is the dystopian future of Days of Future Past, and find a resurrected Tasha Yar about to send Kitty Pride's consciousness across time. And then the other group is sent forward to the Battle of Wolf 357, which was a major conflict between the Federation and the Borg. And John Proudstar, who also died in the X-Men's past, is part of Benjamin Sisko's crew. And then Wesley Crusher and the Travelers show up in a nod to what's easily one of the Next Generation's worst episodes, and they reveal that Kang is actually trying to use the teams to stop the anomalies in order to take over time and space. So the teams guarantee the events manage to happen like they're supposed to. The Enterprise blows up Kang's ship, and then everyone gets sent back to their appropriate times. And then in a final shot, the X-Men return to their mansion only to find something shocking before we're told the story will continue in the novel Planet X. See, Veronica, I told you Wesley and the Traveler was a bullshit it's garbage it's such garbage like i rewatched that episode because i'm like i vaguely remember this and it is oh trash it it is so So bad it's it's an episode that deals with native americans who have resettled on a planet and then they're referred to as american indians which i mean you know early 90s nomenclature it's like well okay that was how it was being referred to a lot of the time and like hasn't aged well and it's very heavy handed. They're trying to say the right thing, which is that this group of indigenous people are 
being forced to relocate from a planet that they've settled on because a new treaty has designated it as Cardassian space. So it's been designated as Cardassian space. And Picard has a number of monologues talking about how wrong this is and how this is repeating the sins of the past. And then Wesley Crusher has come back from Starfleet and is a real dipshit. And then ultimately winds up finding out that he can like travel through time and space like on his own. And so he's joined by the traveler who, whatever, it's dumb. It's garbage. It's, it's ass. So I don't dumb. care. So the fact it's that he so just dumb. randomly shows up in this, I was like, fucking great. Like, obviously, that's how this is going to end. Wesley Crusher and the Traveler are just going to show up. Ugh, so upset about this moment. Yeah. They're so cute together, though. Yeah. Wesley Crusher also shows up in Picard season two, and it's it's nice. I like that they threw Will Wheaton a bone, but still. I like Will Wheaton. Don't always agree with how people don't like Wesley Crusher, but that episode is dumb. Nope. Yeah, it it really it's and it's also pretty offensive in like how it plays into like, you know, the mystical wise Native American tropes too. I can see what they were doing, but it's like I understand why this is voted as like one of the top five worst episodes of TNG. But yeah. Anyway, so so what did everyone think about the comic? I didn't hate it, despite me specifically <laughs> hating the moment when Wesley Crusher shows up. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I kind of liked the callback for Cisco, and I didn't obviously fully understand some of the other ones, but you know what I mean? Like, as I was reading it, I was like, it's kind of interesting. Like, maybe Veronica or Monte understand the X Men references more than I do, but I obviously understand every Star Trek reference kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. For me, this one is probably the one that I was the most interested in of the three. I think that while, like you said, the art in this is very, like, it's a bit dicey, but like in a different, because it's not really super stylistic to the time period, but it's, like you said, it's not very expressive. It's not very dynamic. Like, it's just kind of flat. But I think when it comes to like what a crossover a crossover is for like as far as introducing a different property to someone who might be a fan of another property i think from the x-men side at least this story really like brought in just enough easter eggs and mm -hmm. enough like special little x-men things that might you know entice someone like you have the future alternate timelines which is what x-men is basically about at this point and you have like kang the conqueror is a much better sort of marvel cameo than proteus would be mm -hmm. i don't know i think i think that a lot at least from the x-men side hit with me and then i don't really know enough about star trek because i don't really watch it in detail just in passing with my mother so i don't know if those references were as impactful as some of the references in the other stories but from the x-men slash marvel side i thought that it did a good job of introducing that property to new fans mm -hmm. yeah and i mean i honestly wouldn't have recognized carrie nord's artwork if i hadn't read his name in the credits like he has this really beautiful style and it's just not obvious here like early on there's this illustration of deanna troy where she doesn't look like she has a chin like it reminded me a little bit more of that 19th century painting in Italy that some local woman ruined when she tried to fix it. Yeah, the picture of Jesus. <laughs> or something. Yeah. So like here, I've included I've included one of his early Conan illustrations here. 
in the notes. So if you guys want to check it out and then like see if you would have guessed that that would have been drawn by the same guy that drew this comic. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, the the blob-esqueness of everybody in this comic really I didn't yeah, the artwork felt like it detracted from the story rather than added yeah. to it. And it and it feels like I feel it worse about did. it now that we're obviously all referencing a very beautifully illustrated uh, image that looks quite nice. I, you know, like I don't like to shit on artists and what they create. And I think this is a situation where you had people who were very good at what they did, but then it just didn't come together because Callus's colors, which seem digital, and this was, you know, very early in the industry where they were doing digital colors and, and Koblish's inks, just they don't quite mesh like you can actually see the progress at the end of the book and i think the main problem was that their styles just didn't complement each other like the illustrations themselves i think are a lot of times really beautifully composed like some of the shots of the inside of kang's ship work really well like compositionally like the way they're framed and everything but it's just it's there's something about the way that they all come together where like details are lost or they just look very off it gets better as the issue goes on i feel like maybe they kind of started to to vibe with each other but like the first few pages are rough like i don't know yeah i mean i think abnett and edgington did a nice job weaving together a story that worked well in terms of both star trek and marvel logic speaking as someone that's a fan of both properties and i liked how there were easter eggs from both of those properties like i liked that benjamin cisco was one of the threats to kang and that John Proudstar was alive again only to sacrifice himself so Cisco could live and then go on and find the wormhole with the prophets in Deep Space Nine. You know, and I liked how we got to revisit major moments from both franchises. Like Wolf 359 and Days of Future Past are still pretty well remembered by fans now, but they were really fresh in people's mind at the time if they were fans of those brands. And I think it felt way better than it had any right to be as a mashup comic. Like, I think this is a much stronger entry than the first one. I mean, that's my opinion. You guys are totally welcome to tell me that I'm on drugs or something. But no, I would definitely agree. One hundred and like a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And, you know, as noted, the story continues in the novel Planet X. So this was designed to serve as an immediate sequel to Second Contact. It was published by the Pocket Books division of Simon & Schuster, and written by Michael Jan Friedman, who has written dozens of Star Trek novels. And then he also wrote almost all of the Next Generation ongoing series from DC Comics back in the 80s and early 90s. And according to New Life and New Civilizations, Planet X was Pocket's best-selling Next Generation novel for, I don't know if of all time, but for years it was. And that makes sense. Like The copy that I picked up is the fifth printing of the book. So it was clearly doing well. But yeah, all right, who wants to give a brief summary of the plot? So after Second Contact, the X-Men ping back to the Star Trek universe a year later. Picard picks them up to try and figure out how to get back home. Meanwhile, on the planet of Zaldia, I think that's how, I think that's I the best way to pronounce yeah. it. Yeah. I saying like Zaldia in my head, but now Zaldia. that I say it, I'm asking <laughs> Yeah, I tried to look up the species, too, from this planet. Like, they've never showed up in any other Star Trek references, as far as I can tell. Yeah, no. I don't think so. Well, 
Here on their planet, young people are developing powers in a similar vein to mutants on Earth. These transformed are rounded up by the government and put into fortresses. The narrative follows Arid Sovar as he and the other transformed buck against their imprisonment and eventually stage a breakout. The Enterprise is dispatched to Zaldia to help recover and deal with the transformed diplomatically. The X-Men ask to assist, citing their similar experiences to the transformed. However, when they arrive, a third-party hostile force has cut off communication to the planet and is rounding up the transformed. The Enterprise crew and the X-Men pair off to fight back against the invading forces, eventually driving them off by working together. In the end, the Zaldian government realizes their error and a potential cure is presented to the Transformed and the X-Men. Many decline and the X-Men are returned to their reality. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to note that the hostile alien species is called the Dracone, I think is how yes. it's pronounced. Because it's like, there's an, it's D-R-A-A apostrophe K-O-N, I think. And I'm just like, really? Okay. Like... <laughs> Yeah, in my mind, I read it as Dracone. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, ugh. And then I immediately went to, like, Dracar Noir. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah. So, this is the final entry in the series of crossovers. What did everyone think of this one? (laughs) So, apart from some writing stuff that was kind of a slog for me, I actually really enjoyed like the first two thirds of this book Mm -hmm. and the last third isn't the worst thing but like (laughs) high praise (laughs) just saying i didn't like the end as much as the rest of the book but it's not that it was terrible i am more of a novel person than a comic person and especially i think that all the like relationships and the little like pairing characters off to make them have like oh these characters are similar we should have Worf and wolverine fight in a simulation on the hollow deck. Like I think that stuff had a lot more time to shine and actually like go mm-hmm. in depth and be interesting to me. And this third storyline in the background about the transformed, at least the like setup and build up of it was like like that's interesting pulp sci-fi stuff to me. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. The build up at least. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean like the last half of the novel is like, you know, it's just an ongoing series of action sequences that are all kind of tied together. And, you know, they're fine. But the thing is, is that we did have that buildup leading to that. And it, you know, it it works. It's fine. I would say it definitely feels like a Star Trek episode. There's a planet where something social is happening and people have opinions about it. And then there just so happens to be something else going on that directly ties <laughs> in with this other really random coincidental thing that's happening at the same time. And then they all come together and Picard is like, I'm the captain. And we all make sure that he's the captain. And then and then Riker's there and the holodeck's there and lots of, I don't even know if you can call them Easter eggs, but they're just blatant references to me anyway Uh, it's basically just missing it's like from that episode season four episode 15 when this happened like it literally (laughs) that happened a couple times so really what i'm saying is it felt like a star trek episode i didn't love the ending i felt like they were 50 percent of the way there with an ending that felt satisfying Mm -hmm. and then the man who wrote this was like yep 
that's satisfying enough for me, but it wasn't satisfying <laughs> enough for me. I feel like they did not quite get to the point, which, which is you didn't learn your lesson, basically. That's kind of <laughs> felt a, bit, a little bit white savory. Would that be mm. the kind of correct term yes. that I'm I'm looking for yes. right yes. now? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. So it's like Star Trek where you're like, they almost did something really cool. That happens a few times. <laughs> Especially yeah. next generation. Like, well, they tried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Especially the last few episodes of Next Generation, I feel. Yeah. I was very dissatisfied walking away from a lot of season seven episodes. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I thought the book was interesting and it was fascinating what they did with the characters. And since some of the characters hadn't met the X-Men, they were able to kind of do that little introduction thing, which felt kind of meaningful to both stories. And they did put things in there just to put them in there, though. There were a lot of things that were just like, oh, this is literally for the express purpose of linking these two characters. So, like, mm -hmm. my favorite of these probably was this little nod to fan worlds where, okay, first of all, this didn't make any sense at all. You cannot, you cannot recreate Professor X. Okay, I literally stopped reading to tell <laughs> my husband this. Like, they pissed me off. Oh, God. You cannot recreate Professor X from data files. I'm sorry. That's not... Data files do not a sentient person make. Like, I have an episode of Next Generation. You can't decision make you with that. You should never watch the Jordy Holodeck episode. Oh, they're yes. so bad. Oh, my God. Honestly, though, that was one of my favorite things in this book. Yeah, that was like... <laughs> They're going to get insights that you couldn't just presume from talking to the people who knew him or whatever. It's like, if we recreate right. him with enough data points from these vague files from the past. That, that we uploaded we'll during the second opinion. contact comic. Like <laughs> It was such a throwaway thing. Like We just happened to upload these data files about Professor X while we were there. Well, that like, I mean, I'm sorry, wait, who lets you like, first of all, can you just <laughs> upload? Are you just able to like break down the firewall? Do they not have a firewall? Like, this is all very concerning that <laughs> like, you just were able to get access. Can I choose decline when we go to the website so you can't steal all my Enterprise take care cookies? <laughs> we'll yes. say that Star Trek in the future, HIPAA is not a thing. And neither no. is people's <laughs> express <laughs> privacy to certain things. Yeah, you would think I there mean, would be laws that you can't just recreate your coworkers <laughs> in a hollow deck and then use those characters and oh I don't know, maybe Lieutenant Barkley's weird sex fantasies. It's fine. But you know, yeah, there's a whole episode where Jordy puts data files of a woman, gives her a personality. It's a thing that happens Gross. in Star Trek. It's just something that happens mm -hmm. and it, there's no reason now the part i was complaining about was why not just program him to understand he's a hologram so you don't have to convince him that he's a hologram you're right <laughs> like you have to make all these connections whatever sorry like she spends like half her time explaining what's happening to him uh, but it's very star trek <laughs> it is <I> just <laughs> it was very then, galaxy brain though where they predicted how Professor X and Picard would be played by the same. Oh, yeah, that was great. Well, no, and that was the part at the end where I was just like, they literally did not, he literally walked into the room to interact with Professor X for one millisecond <laughs> and then fucking bounced. He was like, 
Oh, hello, hologram professor. Lovely to meet you. We do look a lot alike. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Door yeah. closes. That Wait, moment what? made me like second guess myself. I was like, "Wait, did this come out after that? No, nineteen ninety eight. I had to think about it too. It's like I told I know, you. I was like, I told them like over and over. Professor X has been drawn as Patrick Stewart for a very long time. Like mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart was a perfect cast because I don't know this for sure. I am just saying this because it's what I believe. But I swear to God, <laughs> M- Marvel wanted Patrick Stewart to play Professor X. And they conspired to make this happen by drawing him that way and putting that energy out into the universe. So that was 1998 <laughs> energy being pushed yeah. to cast Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He might have been cast by that point because yeah. the X-Men movie came out in 2000. So he yeah. might have actually been cast at this point. Huh. But I mean that's also similar to how like Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley specifically modeled Nick Fury off of Samuel L. Jackson and like I think they got permission from him for that and then you know and then that led to Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury in the movies. So hmm. make the change you want in the world you know that's what they mean when they say that Uh, they approached patrick stewart to play professor x in 97 so he was already in talks to play the part at this point nice so it's even more powerful make it happen maybe friedman actually knew about that and like noted it in the book because of that possibly yeah I think that's what made it so cute for me was the references to how they look the same. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It did make me happy when it was happening. And also just it was so dumb. But if there's it's so- if, well, that's Star if Trek. there's one thing that we know, if current trends hold, I can guarantee you that in the future you do not have a right to privacy over your data points that can be used to make porn robots and holodecks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're already seeing that trend. Yeah. If we're yeah. completely, <laughs> we're pretty much completely honest. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> yep. I did also really enjoy how on Worf's away team when he's like invading the Dracon ship, they have two security members named Kirby and Ditko. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was. A, <laughs> I think like, I was like, well played. All right, I'll allow it. Yeah. It's like, of course they would. Yeah. Lot, lots of <laughs> way more red shirts in this book than I thought was going to have. Yeah. There were quite a few randoms that died. And, you know, that does happen. It just doesn't happen that often. But it happened quite yeah. a bit. It was really funny. I felt like one of the things I love about Star Trek is that it's kind of dumb. But another thing is like, they just love inserting like very human moments that are kind of cute into stories that can be kind of heavy or are just, you know, not about that at all. And they, I don't know, I just find a way that, especially in Deep Space Nine, they just have a way of making people very charming, really interesting interactions with different people. But I felt like this book had that sometimes where they'd randomly highlight a character and you're like, why do we care about this person? And then I do something interesting. Another thing, there was so much uh, subtle horniness which is also very oh yeah <laughs> yeah like all the women salivating over Archangel when he's yep. like unconscious yep and and, and blue and Aaron and also Picard Picard and Storm yep. man they uh, I dug it oh I hated it too <laughs> real creepy <laughs> yeah it, it, I thought it was funny <laughs> it was funny <laughs> it was funny but it 
I don't like that that's like Storm's thing is that everybody wants her and she's just like constantly objectified by these white male authors and it pisses me off. Well, and her outfit at the time too was like, you know, it was a 90s women's outfit. It was like spandex with a lot of like bare midriff, if I remember right. Yeah. It should be the same thing she was wearing in the second comic, which, yeah, I think was like. Which is what I'm going off of. Yeah. Yeah. The Emma Frost crop top with yes sleeve cape but then but she also had like kind of like a short almost like a bob cut but then these like long pigtails i think right yeah it was these long like frontis pieces of hair like do you guys remember when people had random bits of hair that were like longer in the mm-hmm. front yep. Y'all remember yeah that? yes mm-hmm. love that i think it was <laughs> similar to her age of apocalypse hair like storm's mm-hmm. age of apocalypse hair is like a short bob with strands they're not bangs but yeah, you know what Side I mean. Banks. What they were yeah. in, the, in the fucking comic. Yeah, there was a lot. Like, I mean, th- like after Age of Apocalypse hit, there was a lot of influence because that was such a hit, you know, for yeah. for the brand. Yeah, the one exception to my I hate the '90s, especially at Marvel rule, is Age of Apocalypse. Age of Apocalypse is fucking yeah. great, and anybody who says otherwise can kick rocks. Yeah, I mean, like that was that was early. Chris Bacolo art too was when he was he did a lot of Asia Apocalypse art that I really liked. But yeah. Yes, like, Chris Bacolo is my favorite I love him artist so much. or one of them, I guess. Yeah. No, I adore him. So yeah, okay. So what was your favorite of these crossovers? The book. The novel. The Planet novel. <laughs> I had yeah, to think novel. about the name for a second because they're also generically named Planet X. Yeah, I just, like Melissa said, I think everyone got, like, really good moments to be, like, insight into them and, like, it little character moments for them. Except Riker, for some reason. I feel like Michael Jan Friedman doesn't like Riker and just ignored him the whole time. I mean, Possibly. honestly, like, I don't think many people really like Riker. Like, I think, <laughs> I think Riker's just kind of there. He's not as interesting as Spock. He's just, like, around. Yeah, he's very tall. Um, he's got that going for him. <laughs> He sits in chairs like, weird. Visually, I he was just going to say, visually, he has the chair thing going yes. for him. So, yes. But yeah, I think like narrative has the best ability to give you insight into people's thoughts and stuff. So I really enjoy being in everyone's heads. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like, I think honestly, like the story is the best in the novel. And I think that's because we were given some time to kind of breathe and get to know all the characters if we weren't familiar with any of them. I mean, it's a random hodgepodge of X-Men characters too, where I'm like, cause like they always have that rotating cast. I'm like, Oh, Banshee's in this one. Okay. Like, I'm like talk about characters that I don't give a shit about, but yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So last question is what was your favorite moment from all of these books? Like just pick one moment. That was your favorite. I can go first. Cause I've got mine ready. Go for it. It's when Wolverine goes into 10 forward and he's talking with Guinan in the novel. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, your synth alcohol sucks. Like, I want something that's like stronger than that. And she's like, oh, well, I can give you some of Worf's private reserve. And she gives him like a tankard of prune juice because that's what Worf drinks. And yes. Wolverine will not back down off of this. And he's like, it's delicious. <laughs> he's like, it's a warrior's <laughs> drink. I had a, it felt like a real Roy Kent moment where he's drinking tea with Ted Lasso. Yes. That was very fun. Also, I like that Guinan had a moment. I thought that was great. Yeah. It was way better than Guinan in the second season of Picard. Stop telling me about <laughs> these things that didn't work out with Picard too. I'm gonna put off push off watching it even longer. <laughs> <laughs> G- 
come for John Delancey chewing scenery as Silver Fox Q. Because, like, I'm I'm sorry, I would absolutely make out with Silver Fox Q. He's hot. <laughs> okay, I will well, die on this hill. if I've got that going for me, then yeah, we'll watch it. <laughs> Was anyone's favorite moment when Q and the Watcher show up at the end of the novel? Um, to... That ruined it for me, but so thanks for <laughs> yes. reminding me. <laughs> to sass everyone else with their knowing things more than everyone else. I was going to say, <laughs> Melissa, we got a Q cameo. Exactly what you wanted. I almost ripped it out of the book. If it wasn't a library book, I would No, those are my library books. Uh, I respect yeah. libraries more than I respect that epilogue. So I it won out <laughs> in the end. I have a very controversial opinion about how much I dislike the character Q. So the fact that he showed up. <laughs> enraged me so much i blacked out and then came to and forgot that it existed until veronica just now mentioned it so thank you for that (laughs) good i think my favorite moment was also in the book and it was when shadow cat like i think it was when they first like the x-men beamed on to some place or something like that and there was some security officer or something that found them and shadow cat mm-hmm. just like dips out and she like pieces out <laughs> yeah. and i thought like being <laughs> familiar with the character i was like oh she's going off to like they've got a plan she's going off to do something but no she was just fucking hiding and i was like <laughs> i was like catherine you can't, you can't just <laughs> abandon your friends and then and then i think it's colossus who is like no you could come out now and she just like Ooh, and i'm like what the fuck Catherine? you you can't do that in her defense but it she was, was like very fun 15 at the time in that in the 15. canon x-men mythology she was like real young yes yes she was sassing real good in this. I think mine, also in the book, <laughs> I just really liked how they utilized all the X-Men's powers in a Star Trek story. And I think a good example of that is when they used Nightcrawler's short-range teleportation to get into the ship in the first through the shields. Is yeah. that the right word? <laughs> yeah. And then that kind of like kicked off the ending action sequence. Well, while it did have a bunch of fights that became a little bit repetitive, it started off with a bunch of like utility interactions where they were making use of each of the X-Men's powers in different sci-fi situations. Yeah. Which was fun. I did enjoy the whole Storm just easily beating down the, what was his name, Rataton or something like that? The, the, mm, the full of, it, like the that, Earthbender. Yeah. <sighs> Saldian yeah. guy uh, who kind of leaded the transformed and he was a psychopath which very all yeah mm. anyway yeah. storm uh, that was a pretty satisfying battle having Riker just be like so I guess I'll just like get out of the way and just narrate <laughs> yeah, you will. neatly how Storm is just my trombone. completely yes. owning this guy and I'm just recording it for history. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> uh, I liked that scene. That was a very interesting scene. It was also very satisfying seeing Storm have a chance to do something yeah. than being diplomatic. <laughs> All right, Jessica, you're up. I really liked the part specifically when shadow cat went so there's this part in the hollow deck where <laughs> i think wharf and wolverine were in the hollow i i actually can't remember who was there i think it was Worf it and was wolverine, wolf, wolf and like, wolverine yeah wait wasn't yeah it, so 
It wasn't it Arid was Sovar's it? brother and his friend Robinson. If you're th- talking Maybe. about the scene that I'm thinking, of. but go on. Maybe so that we so. know. What well, you're about. <laughs> so Shadow get like morphs into the Hollow Deck and like basically like shorts out a bunch of like the Hollow Deck panels. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, oh, sorry, is this stuff electronic? I didn't realize I was going through electronic things. I kind of tend to short things out. Bye! And, like, just dips out again. (laughs) The whole room explodes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, did I do that? Yeah, imagine that. There's circuitry in this spaceship. spaceship. The walls of this spaceship have circuitry in them. Jesus, I was Catherine. literally thinking that. I'm like, you should not be morphing anywhere right now. Like, nowhere <laughs> yeah. should you be morphing. <laughs> Just the whole ship, for... like, starts to fall out of orbit. Just because <laughs> she phases through the wrong thing. Just, like, shakes oh, into two pieces. <laughs> <laughs> she got yelled at for invading privacy in that scene, though, I think. So privacy does exist sometimes in yep. the future. The Star Trek future. But not for corporations. She, if no. she had been a Shadow Cat LLC, they would have just had to deal with it. <laughs> Excuse me, I was just installing some cameras and microphones. Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> then she works out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, as we have often discussed, nothing good lasts. So. Marvel was really struggling in the mid to late 90s thanks to Perlman's moves. The publisher emerged from bankruptcy in 97, but it was still struggling in 98 thanks in large part to the ongoing slump in the comics market. And apparently the Star Trek books weren't selling too well, so it didn't make a lot of sense for them to keep paying licensing fees to Paramount in order to put out money losing comics. As a result, the series were all canceled and most of them were able to work in conclusions to in-progress stories. And since then, the Marvel books have been republished. There was a digital collection on CD-ROM that you can still buy for like 60 bucks, but I don't know who has a CD drive anymore. And there was also a recent graphic novel series that reprinted every comic across 140 volumes, but neither of these collections actually have the X-Men issues in them. And as a result, the Star Trek X-Men comics have actually become kind of pricey collector's items. And I think they're going to get more so because the second one has Kang the Conqueror and he is now going to be the big driving villain of the next MCU phase because I think they've announced that it's like the Kang dynasty and he's going to show up real heavily in the new Ant-Man movie. The novel itself is still, it's very easy to find from used booksellers or on the web and it's still sold for e-readers. Like I originally snagged it and a couple of other novels for 99 cents when there was a sale. And then after that, the rights bounced back to DC under the Wildstorm imprint for a couple of years in the 2000s. It laid dormant for a little while before Tokyo Pop did some manga stuff for about three years. And then IDW began publishing new Star Trek comics right around the same time. And that brings us to today, where we are arguably in another Star Trek renaissance. We currently have four exclusive Star Trek shows on Paramount. We have Picard, Discovery, Brave New Worlds, and Lower Decks. And there's this high-profile game that's coming out this year, I think. And it's being developed by some pretty high-level veterans from Telltale Games who were known for their Walking Dead and Batman and a couple of other fairly big-name IP adaptations they did before they shut down. And you can find a ton of Star Trek comics from IDW on Hoopla these days. And 
that's where we're going to end our discussion about these crossovers. So before we move on to brain wrinkles, does anybody have any final thoughts? I still hate the 90s. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) That's it. I will say (laughs) that I really enjoyed how well Star Trek and X-Men as two separate media, even kind of stories and properties and and characters and like, but I think they just blend together so well because they can both be fun and campy for a minute and then serious and deep of a sociological or a societal issue or whatever. And I think that's just why they blend together. And honestly, we should have more crossovers. I can definitely see Mm -hmm. how all you got to do is just say something weird (laughs) as shit happened. You don't really need a real reason. It just something weird happened. Let's not really worry about it. And then have a story with more X-Men and and Star Trek characters and like easy, (laughs) like five seconds. I've already written that episode for you. You just say something like a balloon and something (laughs) bad happens or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's yes, whatever. Anyone else? My final thoughts are that this, I, I felt like this was a pretty good mashup as far as mashups go. Yeah. I mean, I felt like they made sense. They don't always make sense. Yes. <laughs> you know, but I think, I feel like these two properties combined, like time wise, absolutely. They were both popular during that same period of time. You know, as far as like their general genres working really well together, as well as like their different combined kind of specialties and powers went like, really well together and I thought that the characters all meshed really well too and I did like the different dynamics and I think in the especially in the novel where there was a lot more room to play with that they were really able to dig into like oh I thought I didn't like this person but I actually do like this person I actually respect them because they did this thing that I didn't think they were capable of and that was something that I have to get past as a person of like not assuming that people aren't capable of doing things so I mean I think that there were some some really good messages on -hmm. top of everything else too, on top of them all kind of working well together. Yeah. I'll second that. I was very pleasantly surprised at how well these all work together. And, you know, before I started reading these for this episode, I did not know how good they were going to be. And I mean, even the first crossover, it's fine. It's, you know, it's my least favorite of three, but it's, it's fine. It's serviceable. I have no final thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No notes. I said all I need to say. Well, let's move on to the Star Trek themed version of Brain Wrinkles. We are now at the point of the show known as Brain Wrinkles, and we are doing a Star Trek version of that. Brain Wrinkles are one thing that is just stuck in our head that has been living there rent-free for a couple of days. And as I've noted, this is dropping on Star Trek Day, so we wanted to make it Star Trek adjacent. So who would like to go first? I can. Mine's probably the least related to Star Trek, but from reading this novel, Planet X, the other story happening here with the transformed and them being imprisoned, which is like a violation of the planet's ethics, but they did it anyway. I think that was built up like really super good. It did not 
end in a way that really carried out the story, which I think Mm. is what you can expect from Star Trek. If you, after listening to this, read the book and feel the same, I'm just going to throw a couple novels that maybe they're not like the same story, but that I think deal with like messy issues in a more carrying out the promise of the story kind of way. So I'll just do a couple. Oh, yeah, do it. Lay it on us. Probably most people who are like super into sci-fi already know these. But The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin jumped into my head. Also has to do with like a space society and their different sociological makeup. I don't want to try to summarize it (laughs) because it's very complex. The other one that I thought of is called Where Late the Sweet Birds Sang by... Kate Wilhelm. And that one is not about space, but it's about like a post-apocalyptic society that consists entirely of clones of the people who like came together to be like, we're going to keep living. The only way we can continue to procreate is to be clones and how that happens generation after generation. And eventually one natural child is born into the society and the messy situations that that leads to. And then just, you know, branch off from those two. This hasn't been a recent brain wrinkle, but this is something that has in the past lived rent free in my brain you guys haven't seen it i would recommend searching on youtube star trek employee training and a video called taxpayer funded irs conference video (laughs) star trek spoof will come up and it is an employee training video that is written like a star trek episode and ignore all the hate in the comments because it is in its own essence, pure and innocent. And they had an idea. These people had a chance to make an employee video and they understood the assignment and they made it a Star Trek episode. And as pure as it can be a Star Trek episode and also be an IRS training video for new hire employees. I highly recommend watching it. It is so funny and also engaging for six minutes but only if you like star trek i you probably will be with most people in the comments if you don't like star trek (laughs) they do not like it the next time anybody makes any comments about not liking the government spending money on people i'm i feel like i'm just gonna send them You want to know what the government's actually (laughs) spending money on. We could be giving a child a dentist appointment right now, but you know what we are spending our money on? (laughs) Let me show you. I was going to say, Jessica and my eyebrows went up (laughs) very high while Melissa was telling us about this. Like, for those of you who don't have access to the video feed. It is like 10 years ago that this happened. I mean, nothing's Uh, changed. And I don't think they spent... That much money on it. It is mostly green screen. So, so. It sounds like you have the money to buy a green screen. You have the money to send a disabled vet to an appointment. Okay. All I'm saying. Jesus Christ. Like, come on. It's not, this is not hard math, I don't feel like, but it's so difficult. Oh, yeah. Did you know that corporate profits are up and, like, you know, cost of living is skyrocketing? I, unrelated i know as i aggressively sip my coffee (laughs) (laughs) but imagine in let's say i don't know 300 years this is just what training videos will be so they're just prepping us for 
<laughs> See, I thought you were going to say, imagine in 300 years when our like descendants are looking back on this time, and that's like one of the artifacts that they find. And they're like, oh, this is what they did to train employees. But if that's the only training video they find. God, I hope it is. They have to also yeah. find that like Wendy's so. hot beverage service rap video from the 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> right. So, Monte or Jessica, who wants to take it? I would love to go maybe last. Okay. Okay. So I don't really, I'm going to be totally honest, I don't really think about Star Trek <laughs> that much. It's fine, there's so... always one. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have much, no, it's still a Star Trek thing, I'm just, I'm just saying it's not very good, okay? That's all, I'm just, I'm just preparing you for it not to be very good. Um, <laughs> so there's an episode of Discovery where Michael Burnham, I think she's, she's like, in the future or something like that. I don't know. Melissa showed it to me. Yeah, it's it's like the first episode of season three when she is, it's the story mm. of how she meets Book. Yeah, and there's a scene where she gets like sprayed with some kind of hallucinogenic stuff that's supposed to knock her out. And then she like, she leans back and then she like leans forward really far and she goes, damn. <laughs> and that is stuck in my brain all the time. So I don't think about Star Trek very much. But I do think about Michael Burnham a lot. And I do oftentimes randomly, just like if I take a drink of something or like if something surprises me, I'll just go, damn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very cringy and I hate myself. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, would we be human if we didn't have at least one cringy thing to our name? <laughs> just the one. Yeah, one. Just, just the one. one. Just the one. <laughs> Otherwise, you get shot out the nearest airlock. Beamed yeah. into space. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So, honestly, it would be a mercy. <laughs> but, anyways. All right. So, Jessica's going to go last. So, I'm going to step in. And there has been like a lot of people getting mad about how Star Trek has woke mm -hmm. lately, and they are all outing themselves as people who mm. clearly are not familiar with the fucking source material. And reading like, comprehension. <laughs> well, yeah. Shatner, you know. One of my favorites was he was like, when did Star Trek get so woke? And the response was Cheaty from The Good Place going, you were there! You did it! <laughs> yeah, exactly! <laughs> but like, you know, for the most part, like, tell me you never watched Star Trek without telling me. Yeah. I mean... Like Star Trek gave us the first interracial kiss on television with fucking William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols. I know I was like, for. did he literally forget that? Yeah, yeah they like sabotaged all the all the takes where that didn't happen so that it would yep. be aired. Like what? Yep. Like Martin Luther King personally like begged Nichelle Nichols to stay on the show because like she was such a positive role model for black women. Rest in peace. Like, you know, and like. That same series had like allegory episodes dealing with both Vietnam and the Cold War. The Next Generation had episodes all about gender and sexuality. Deep Space Nine was all about social justice and has an entire fucking episode showing how a near future America was descending into fascism and oppression. And Voyager had a female captain. And like, I got to be honest, Kate Mulgrew played her in a way that I feel makes her the most hardcore commanding officer of the franchise. <laughs> like, she does it yeah. the Jane way. Not Jane anyone way. else's way. The Jane yeah, way. Yeah, like I I keep on 
I didn't make it up. <laughs> Big thumbs down. <laughs> we'll die on the cell. It's fine. I didn't invent that. <laughs> okay. Well, whoever did, big thumbs down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I just, I've been thinking about why I love Star Trek so much. And I think it's because it's not only generally pretty good sci fi, but it's always focused on a dream of a better tomorrow. And like, if you're mad about that, like, there's the door. Get out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Star Trek is very woke. When discovery, there's a, bu- there's a bunch of well reasoned arguments on Reddit about how discovery is being too woke with gender fluidity and stuff like that and um i don't (laughs) was gonna say how mad are they gonna make us you will take screenshots and send them to your friends and your friends will be like just stop (laughs) reading them and you won't get mad but how else are they gonna feel alive without that white hot spike of rage just needling you behind the eyes I just need to feel something. <laughs> yeah, I saw I had to see a black woman cry on TV and it just didn't feel like Star okay. Trek to me. OK, just go yeah. cry in a corner. Reddit. Like, whatever. Bro. Go back just to watching Spike TV, it. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, can you? It, it is. He looked it up. Oh no. We had to look it up. It's not really here in the States. It's like in Australia and like the Netherlands or something. But like (laughs) but also the next generation was on Spike. I don't know. Like (laughs) whatever. Anyway, let's let's end this on a positive note. Jessica, I know what you're gonna be showing us, and I am one hundred percent here for it. So I I would just like to tell everybody about Rachel Lark and her amazing song Picard. And if you are a Star Trek fan, especially Next Gen or a funny song fan, you will love this one. And if you love funny, smutty music just generally, which, hello, of course I do, (laughs) check out her stuff, rachellark.com. This is not sponsored. I just freaking love her. She's actually from around in, like, our area. She's hilarious. I've got a few of her CDs. I've seen her live a bunch of times. She does these fun, like, brunches where she, like, if you're part of her, like, patreon you can get like an invitation to like a secret location where she's doing like a brunch like concert it's pretty cool yeah one was in an old like church that had been converted into a different space it was really neat yeah so she's amazing she's fantastic she has an amazing voice but i wanted to just alert you guys that this song exists so check it out so essentially rachel lark is a gem (laughs) She's a fucking she's a fucking treasure. Uh go look up everything she does. Yeah, no, that was very good. Yeah, that song is so Why good. did that have to be the chorus? <laughs> Why did the chorus have to be? It's so good. Well, she has everybody sing like when it's because she does this live right it's so fucking funny when it's live too because everybody if you if they haven't anybody anybody who has seen any of star trek is just rolling when she sings this and especially people who haven't heard it before they're just like on the floor so it's it's so good but she has everybody sing i want to fuck picard <laughs> fuck picard and then she does the other stuff in the background it's so funny it's total audience participation yes. time amazing <laughs> amazing like, absolutely amazing 
Well, I don't think any of us can top that. So maybe we should wrap things up. Monte, Veronica, Melissa, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. We were so excited to have you on and it's just been so nice to hang out with you all again. So hopefully we can do it before too much time passes. Yes. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will, as always, be back in two weeks with another full-length episode. Next Thursday, we will be doing another of our new series, Dollar Bin Discoveries. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, as well as Monte, Melissa, and Veronica of SJW Comic Book Club. It was written by Mike Thompson and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to TencentTakes.com or shoot an email to TencentTakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is TencentTakes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can find the SJW Comic Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at SJWComicsCast or email us directly at SJWComicsPodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.